Hello and welcome to The Pathway. My name is Tim Deeks, and in this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of interesting characters from a wide range of backgrounds. No matter if the guest is a leader in business, sport, media, or politics, everyone has a pathway through life. And it is my ambition that through each guest's unique story, you'll be able to take something away to put into action on your own path. So let's start walking. My guest today is John Robertson. John is the current CEO of Foodbank New South Wales and a former opposition leader of the Labor Party. To discuss his life dedicated to serving the community, I'm pleased to welcome John Robinson. Welcome, John. Hi, Tim. Mate, I just want to begin at the start. What was your very first job? I started at 15 packing groceries into paper bags behind a checkout at my local Woolworth and then progressed from there. I think, well, I was the first male um, cashier or checkout operator in my local Woolworth before I finished school and at 16 and got an apprenticeship as an electrician. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Eastwood, which is sort of northwest Sydney, pretty average sort of upbringing, you know, middle class family. And um, I mean, I came from an era where generally mum stayed home and my mum was always at home. My dad worked. Did you, do you have brothers and sisters? I've got one younger brother. And what was it like being the eldest? Probably gave you a bit of an insight into the leadership? Yeah, well, you're a bit of a trailblazer. You make life easier for your younger sibling in terms of just being able to do different things. And, and you watch your sibling uh, able to do all sorts of things that you weren't able to do at a similar age. And so, yeah, I think you really sort of set the tone. I mentioned it in the intro. You've, you've dedicated a majority of your life to the public service. Where did that ambition come from? I think it came from my family life. Um, we're a family that was always looking, you know, for opportunities to do more and give back. And yeah, I think a lot of it came from my father as well. And certainly, you know, we've all got a skill set that we have. Mine was probably talking uh, and, and leading a bit. And so uh, that's probably where it came from. My father often said I was always the one where the kids would be following me around the neighbourhood for some reason. You know, I was leading the pack. Did you always think, you know what, I want to be a leader? To be honest, no. Um, I, I, th- I often say I've been very lucky in my life um, to have had the opportunities that I've had all the way through. But my father always reminds me that luck comes with hard work. And it's funny how the harder you, you work, the luckier you get. So I think I've worked pretty hard throughout my whole life. And I spray my, whatever I'm doing, I throw myself into it to make sure I give the best that I can. So that at the end of it, you're not looking back going, oh, maybe I could have done a bit more or maybe I should have tried this or I should have tried that. So whatever the, whatever the role is or whatever I'm doing, you know, I just fully commit myself and get into it. Why the move into politics? Uh, it's quite an interesting story, actually. I have to say I never envisaged myself being in politics and – I, when I was working, an apprentice electrician actually worked on the extension of the New South Wales Parliament when I was 19 years old. Um, so it was pretty extraordinary to go back there all those years later. And I often used to think to myself when I was in the Parliament, if someone had travelled back from the future when I was 19 and I was in the basement you know, doing some electrical work and said to me, one day you'll be leader of the Labor Party, you'll be a minister in government, uh, I'd have probably looked at them, looked at them, and said they were crazy. I ended up in politics or in, in, in parliament uh, largely because uh, the then premier of New South Wales pestered me on a weekly basis for about two and a half months to come and join the team. 
And I just kept saying no, no, no. And then I thought about it a bit more and thought, it's not every day the Premier of the state is actually asking you to come and join the team. And so I ended up saying yes. Do you look back on it now and do you understand why he asked you to, to get involved? Uh, look, I do. Um, and I feel, frankly, you know, it, it sounds a bit trite, but I feel very uh, honoured to have had that opportunity to A, be in the parliament, B, represent constituents uh, in a part of Western Sydney called Blacktown, which is, you know, there's a lot of lower socioeconomic people in that area. And it was it was quite a great opportunity to be able to stand up and use my voice, my networks to advocate for that community and actually see things improved and improve for individuals as well. So I look back and I think, yeah, okay, I can see why uh, he wanted me in there. And yeah, as I say, I'm very thankful for the opportunity that I had to be in the New South Wales Parliament for you know, nine and a half, ten years. People, especially at the moment, politics is such a central part of everyone's life because we're, you know, we're hanging on every word of, of what, you know, in New South Wales it's Gladys or in, in, in Victoria it's Dan. What's the misconception that people have about politics that aren't involved in it that you know to be untrue? I think it's very easy to look at politicians and say, oh, you know, they're all driven by self-interest or they don't care. I would say the overwhelming majority on both sides um, are genuinely committed to improving the lives of the people of the state or the country um, that we live in. And a lot of it is portrayed through the eyes of the media. I used to always say to people, most of the legislation that goes through Parliament, and it doesn't matter whether it's New South Wales, Victoria or the Commonwealth Parliament, most legislation that gets passed uh, is passed with the support of both sides of the House. What you see in question time is a very small component of politics, but it's what most people perceive. And I think the other part is that, you know, the media like to sensationalise everything, sadly. And so all you see is the sensationalised bits as opposed to the bits where everybody's committed to getting a good outcome and everyone's working together. Uh, All sounds a bit boring to the media, so it gets very little coverage. What makes a good opposition leader? I think a good opposition leader is... uh, someone who's prepared to hold the government to account, but is also not opportunistic about looking for every chance they can to actually score political points. Mm -hmm. And for me, while I was there, it was very much about picking issues that are impacting on the wider community and pursuing those, but trying to avoid being opportunistic when it comes to attacking the government. Now, when I left Parliament, I I didn't give a, a parting speech. A lot of people wanted me to. I didn't. My last day in the parliament, I had a, I, got, I received a standing ovation in the chamber, which was led by the then government. So I spent four years, you know, picking fights with the government of the day and holding them to account on critical issues. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it was they who led a standing ovation for me when I left. And I left with um, a lot of respect. Um, I had a particular minister who's still there say to me one day, um, if I leave with my integrity intact like you did, I will feel very proud of what I've done. And yeah, that's probably the greatest compliment you can get. It's really interesting you mentioned about your early entry into the parliament through being an electrician. Yeah, it's incredible to, to think that you know life is such a cycle, then you go back into it. Did you ever go back to check on your work and make sure um, it was still uh, operational? Yeah. Well, I can share a funny story with you. We were sitting late one night. I started in the upper house and then moved to the lower house. But we were sitting late one night in the upper house and the lights started to flicker at about 1.30am. And 
it was like the whole chamber just looked across at me and went, oh, Robbo, there goes all that electrical work you did. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice to be able to, talk, to tell that story. And it's nice to be able to tell that story because I think there's a lot of young people think that, you know, they've got to succeed here or they've got to get there or they've got to do well at school and all those sorts of things. Life is about opportunities and it's about hard work. And I always say to people, you know, it's about how people recognise hard work and they're more likely to recognise that than somebody who's busily telling people how good they are. So for me, it was just always about getting on and doing the work and doing the job. And that's what gets recognised. I left school at 16. I finished, when I was there, it was called fourth form. It's now year 10. I didn't go to uni until I was about 26 years old. Uh, So I think the important thing is that it's never too late to do anything, change what you're doing and those sorts of things. And and what you do at school doesn't lock you into anything. You know, if you're doing a trade, I think I always encourage people, trade's probably one of the greatest things you can do if you get the opportunity to do it because it gives you a grounding just, you know, in working hard, you're still studying and those sorts of things. And at any point down the track, you can always go back and do something else. But it gives you something really strong to fall back on if you ever need to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's touching on that point, you know, failure is such an important part of growth. How has a particular failure played a role in your success? So I think the key thing for me is always learning from what you did. So I, now running Food Bank, always say to my management team, you know, if you make a mistake, come and tell me because I, you know, it's about no surprises. And it's about looking at what happens and what you can learn from that and the things that you can change to make sure you go forward in the right direction. So, you know, some of that comes with a level of humility. And, you know, if you're in politics, we've all got giant egos and it's really important, I think, from time to time, if your ego gets in your way, you know, you you kind of step back afterwards and go, oh, yeah, I should have just been much more reserved in that situation or I should have approached it in a different fashion. You're constantly learning, and, and frankly, if you're not making mistakes, you're not making decisions. 100% agree on that point. You know, you mentioned Food Bank. How did you become involved? I volunteered for the majority of my time in Parliament uh, at Food Bank. I chose to volunteer at Food Bank. There's a number of organisations in the food relief sector, and, and they're all doing good work, um, but they're all slightly different. And for me, Food Bank was an organisation that attracted my attention for a number of reasons. It was financially sustainable without government funding, which I think is really important in the charitable sector. You see a lot of charities um, solely reliant on government funding. And then when the government's change or a minister changes or priorities change, that funding disappears and suddenly that service is gone. So that was the first thing that attracted me to it. The second was that it relies on charities to provide the food provides food in a way where the charities get to choose what is delivered to them from our warehouse and then the people that come into those charities get to choose what they take away so there's a real piece around dignity which i think is important because we're very quick in this country to prejudge people on why they might find themselves in a situation where they need food relief and in fact in australia there's a growing cohort of people who set the alarm every morning like the rest of us get up go to work but because they don't have secure employment or they're in a situation where you know life throws a curveball and suddenly they don't have enough money to put food on the table by the time they've covered their utilities their rent or their mortgage and that's a significantly growing cohort you know there might be people listening to this that are that are doing it a little bit tough how does one reach out to food bank 
So you can read, I mean, you can go to our, our website, no matter where you are, it's foodbank.org.au, and you can contact us there, and we'll put you in touch with the charities that we work with that are in your local area. It's one of the great things about uh, how Food Bank operates in New South Wales. You know, we work with 750 charities right across the state. We're shipping food to the most remote parts of the state, and it's the same in all the other states, so that you can actually get access through the charities that we're working with to the food you need. And there's no shame, particularly now with COVID. You know, we're seeing people reaching out who never thought they would have seen themselves in this situation. Because of the lockdowns, we're seeing the impact that's having on employment uh, and the like that we're seeing people reach out for the first time. I remember in 2020 uh, meeting a woman uh, from Western Sydney who'd worked for a major travel agency. She, in the February of 2020, she resigned there. She tipped her life savings into setting up her own travel business. And, of course, in March last year, we all know what happened. Um, she couldn't access the government benefits. And so it's families like that that found themselves in that situation. And I remember talking to her and she said, we're just a middle-class family paying off a mortgage in Western Sydney. I never thought I'd find myself in this situation. Um, so there's all sorts of people out there, not just during COVID, but people who are really just trying to get on with life, who find themselves in a situation where they've got to make choices between you know, paying the rent or keeping the electricity on and putting food on the table. And it's pretty sad. Hey, it's Tim. Thank you for making it this far into the podcast. While you're listening, would you mind giving us a rating and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode? Your rating will enable others to find us and discover their own pathway. Now back to the podcast. I just want to finish up with some rapid fire questions if I can. Yep. So what profession would you like to attempt if you weren't the CEO of Food Bank New South Wales? What else would you like to be doing? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I love what I do, and I've been fortunate to love every job I've had. I think this is one of the best jobs I've ever had. No, it's a good answer. When Obviously, you, you face a lot of emotional moments every day, and you hear all the stories. What's your favorite way to relax? Uh, I swim, and um, I swim most mornings. I've swum my whole life, and uh, I call it black line meditation. I remember Ian Thorpe talking about it as meditation, and I thought, that's exactly right. It's a great place. Where no one can talk to you, your head's underwater and there's just this line and you're just swimming up and down the pool. Are you watching the swimming at the Olympics? I surely am. It's been fantastic to watch. And Ariana Titmus yesterday was just outstanding to see her you know, defeat Katie Ledecky, who's one of the legends in the pool, uh, was a great event to watch. And her coach was sensational. Oh, man. That is the best vision that will be played across the world. It'll be a TikTok video already somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> Guaranteed. If you had a billboard, it could get a message out to millions of people. What would you have written on it? I think I'd say don't be quick to judge people just based on their circumstance or the way they look because, you know, it, it's one of the great failings. I think Australia is very quick to judge people because of the situation they're in or the circumstances they find themselves in. And for a lot of people, it's through no fault of their own. The first thing you do when you get up in the morning is? I get up and I eat my wheat fix <laughs> and then I go to the pool. Love it. The the person I would most like to have dinner with is? Uh, I think for me, I'd have to say probably be Obama. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I had this sense that you were going to say that. It, you're just an extraordinary individual. And, you know, I, I used that quote earlier about you know the way he described government. I want to finish it on a positive note. The thing that excites me most about the future is? Is that 
I'm watching a younger generation that's generous, wants to see a better world and is looking for those opportunities as to how they can make the world a better place to live. I love it, John. Thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm really, really appreciative, especially during this time when there's so many people seeking um, your assistance and it's a fantastic thing that you're doing. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends and join me next time on The Pathway.